Thanks for tuning in to the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Entrepreneurship and Sustainability Program at Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, where, through the program, we are building into the entrepreneurs of the future. I'm your host, Stephen Carter, and today's episode is, well, nothing short of inspiring. Today, I interview the Bun Lady. This is Cordia Harrington. Cordia is the CEO and founder of The Bakery Company, a company which has grown to over $100 million in sales and is based in Nashville, providing buns and baked goods for many restaurants and establishments across the nation. In my discussion with Cordia, we talk about a range of things, but all focused on her statement that ultimately success is persisting through difficult times. Cordia's story is truly a success journey, a story where she continues to persist despite being told no, despite her gender, despite her initial starting income. She continues to push through to achieve that ultimate goal in her mind and truly demonstrating the entrepreneurial mindset. In the discussion, Cordia lays out a threefold mission in her life that she has ultimately worked to put in place in all of the different avenues she has worked in, from creating opportunity to making a difference to impacting lives. Joining me today is Cordia Harrington. Cordia is the founder and CEO of The Bakery Company, also known as The Bun Lady. Cordia, thanks so much for joining me. So happy to be here, Stephen. Good to see you. Cordia, you have just such an inspiring story that I, I really want to dive right into it. And I, I want to play off of a line, uh, a quote of yours, where you say that success is persisting through difficult times. Could you just tell us a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur and how your current success was due to your level of persistence throughout that journey? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. It's a loaded question, I know, but, but maybe, maybe step by step. Okay, I, I think I'm going to start at the end and work backwards. Um, today, I'm the CEO and founder of the bakery companies, primarily uh, our finest and most fabulous customers, McDonald's but we have about 1,400 other customers that you would know all their names as well. Um, we have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight facilities and bake about 12 million pieces a day. Um, but going backwards, uh, before becoming a baker, I was a restaurant owner. And before becoming a restaurant owner, and that was McDonald's restaurants, before becoming a McDonald's restaurant owner, I started my own business. And you see, I, I was very rich back then. I had almost $600 in my savings account. <laughs> so I bartered for my office space. This is in Russellville, Arkansas. Do you know where that is? I do not. Okay, it's in the middle of the state, but at the time about 10,000 people. And I was the only woman-owned business in the state Wow. And I bartered for my office space. I leased my desks for $3 a month and my chairs for $1.50 a month. 
from Burr's office machine, and they're still in business, believe it or not, and uh, got into the real estate business. And I guess back then, I would walk into a house and they, what they call today staging, we just did that naturally. We'd go in and paint the walls and get it ready and all that. But that was a tough time because the bankers would literally come by my office to see what the women were doing. Um, you know, we, uh, we were notable in a laughing manner. And so to gain credibility, we had to persist with being um, effective, efficient, resourceful, and, and just power through until we got scale enough to be considered credible in a real deal. And um, during that time, I, I had some three sons and also found myself divorced when they were one, three, and five. And as a result of that, I, you know, real estates, have you ever worked in real estate? No, no, I haven't. Okay. Well, it's a night and weekend business. It's a wonderful industry. You get to help people, but you don't really have quality family time when you do that. And one of my customers, the Feuerhahn family had moved to town and they bought the local McDonald's. And growing up wearing my cousin's hand-me-downs, I didn't even know you could own a McDonald's. But I looked at their lifestyle. I looked at the way they could spend time with their family on the weekend. And I thought, well, this is for me. But in order to get that opportunity, I had to go through numerous interviews. And then they placed me in a restaurant in Little Rock, Arkansas, which was about 90 minutes away to, from my house to the restaurant door, that I would work for free for 2,200 hours, almost two years, in order to learn the business. And there were many mornings I would drive to Little Rock to open that restaurant at four in the morning and the tears would be streaming down my face as the sun would be coming up. And to persist through that was difficult. I wasn't being paid, I wasn't being rewarded. It was simply push through because the end game is worth it. And it was, I, I bought my first McDonald's in Effingham, Illinois, you know where that is? I'm familiar with that, yes. Okay, big cross on the interstate. Right. In a small town, bought that. And um, as scary as that was, my monthly payment on that McDonald's was 27000 a month. So I had to figure out how to grow the sales. And how many times a week can you expect 10,000 people to come into your restaurant? Right. So get, <laughs> exactly. You know? And so I bought the Greyhound bus franchise, put it on the corner of my parking lot, had 88 buses a day. So, so I guess what I'm trying to show you is that um, to get where I am today, it's been a lot of long hours and long vision to see that it's worth putting in the time, the effort, being resourceful, working extra hours in order to get uh, the opportunity to have the business that I do today. Absolutely. And, and there's so much in, in, this, in this story to unpack. And I know this is only even part of your story, but when we talk about persistence and you know pushing through adversity and these hard times, not only are you facing the adversity that any entrepreneur, any aspiring business owner faces, 
but you're facing that double as you're also facing it from your gender. You know, you, like you said, you have to gain your credibility and that's something that, you know, a lot of business owners don't necessarily have to do. So you also talk about how at the same time you find yourself as a single mom that adds a whole other layer of adversity. So it almost sounds like your experience is not just dealing with adversity, but dealing with multiple areas of adversity hitting you all at once. How, how do you, I mean, how did you cope with all of that? I, I, uh, I lovingly refer to that part of my life as I was in survival mode. Ah, I mean, it was just putting one step in front of the other and powering through. Um, I was determined to spend more time with my sons. Nobody ever gets married thinking they're going to end up divorced. Okay. Nobody plans for that. And I certainly didn't. But I wanted to be able to afford to take care of my sons while spending more time with them. And that's what gave me uh, the vision to the restaurants. Have you ever worked in a restaurant? Yes, I have. In, okay. fact, I, in fact, I worked at a McDonald's when I was 15. Okay, good. Well, that's the best training ever. But, you know, I didn't realize that as an owner operator, you, you know, you don't have more time with your family because if somebody doesn't show up, you've got to be there. And when you've got 200 employees, average age 16 and a half and prom comes around and life happens, you know, you're constantly at the restaurant. So um, when I learned about supply chain, international supply chain for McDonald's, I got very excited because I would visit these bakeries and meet these talented, well-paid professional people running these highly automated equipment. And I thought, well, if I have a team of people like that, then I will have more time with my kids. So I was certain, you know how you get that little um, wiggle in your stomach when you know something's right? Sure. I was certain that I was to become a McDonald's supplier. Now, <laughs> it took them a little while to figure that out. In fact, I had 31 interviews over a four-year period of time, and they told me no every, every interview. I'd go up, you know, I want to be your Hall of Fame baker. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you do. Thank you. We appreciate your interest. I mean, like I had no baking experience, no manufacturing experience. I don't know why they told me no. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, um, really just sure that I was right for that role. And I just had to keep persisting and pursuing until I got that nod to say, okay, you can partner with two experienced bakers and become a supplier to McDonald's. Wow. And what a blessing that was. Now, even that, even that part of the story, though, you were put on the bun committee, right? And, and on some level, like, what, wasn't that kind of a, a joke or, or, or something that they, they didn't think much of? Was, and, and, and yet you take this, I mean, kind of joke, like, oh, let's put, let's put Cordia over here. You know, this will be fun. You take that. And you treat it as an opportunity for success. Well, you know, even today, I talked to some of the guy operators that, as a joke, put me on the bun committee. You get it? Um, they, uh, you know, we, we tease about it. They, they love to take credit that my success is because of them. Oh, sure. They put sure. Me on the bun committee. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Now, now, can you tell us a little bit for our listeners, um, what, what was that, that story like? So, so you're working at, you, you, well, you, you own the McDonald's. 
Yeah, I owned, I owned one and I built two more. So at the time I had three and I was in a co-op advertising group, Central Illinois Co-op, and all the other operators were men. And each, each month we would meet and we would vote on how to spend our collective co-op advertising budget. That's what it was for, advertising, local advertising, and supporting national advertising. But we had committees. We had a purchasing committee, a bun committee, and um, an op-med, which meant they went up to Oak Brook and sat on the big advertising board. But the man that was on the bun committee for our region had, I don't know what, retired or something, and there was this opening, and they just thought it would be hilarious to put me on the bun. Right, (laughs) sure. Well, I was still at this stage where I never missed going to the restaurant and being there all day, except to go to the bun committee meetings because um, you had to travel to go, go to those, and I did. And I would come back so excited about flower prices as Russia, sesame seeds in Guatemala, and it would be my turn to report, and I did the I was so excited. And they were, okay, okay, enough, enough. We don't need to hear any more about buns. Okay. But I just fell in love with it and more intrigued about the international supply chain that was so vast and so miraculous. In fact, if you think about how many McDonald's there are around the world and that you don't ever go into a McDonald's and they run out of something. It's like the daily miracle to get the right food to the restaurants all around the world every single day. And I love that magic. Now, there's there's another piece as, as this is going on that you mentioned in your story that I want to unpack a little bit. And I love this part of it because it shows your entrepreneurial mindset at work. You are operating this McDonald's and you're in, it's, it's Effingham, correct? You're in Effingham and you have a, a certain you know set business that's been coming in, but you're thinking, how do we increase sales? How do we get more customers? And there's a limited number of customers. You're, you're, you're a business where you have the people who live there and that's pretty much it. But you decide you are going to broaden that customer base. You are going to go outside the box and take an innovative approach and this involves a CB radio. It involves uh, some, some truckers on the interstate. Tell us a little bit about that story. Well, this is by far, I mean, you're, you're uh, testing my age here, but this is <laughs> before we all had cell phones. And in and those years, and I want to say it was the mid-90s, um, I would get on the CB radio and go, hey, good buddy, stop at McDonald's, bring your bus in. And I'll give you a free meal. And I started having, with Effingham is between St. Louis and Chicago on I-57 and 70. So we had a lot of traffic going up and down the interstate. And the only way to communicate with them was on CB radio. So I tried to lure in truck drivers and buses and all of that. And they would pull that big bus in and we'd hurry up and get those people fed and get them back on the bus and back on the interstate. Well, that led to the idea of buying the Greyhound bus franchise and building a little bitty office on the corner of my parking lot, rearranging the parking so it was easier for the buses to get in and out. And by doing that, 
I guaranteed I had 88 buses a day. A day, a single day. day. And our sales soared because they'd all run off the bus, get their little sack, get back on the bus and going down the interstate. And we were efficient and fast at serving them all hands on deck. And they were in and out and gone down the road. And it really helped make a difference um, in me being able to make that enormous monthly payment. So what, what happens to all these other McDonald's owners, these other franchise owners who are looking at you and they're saying, now, wait a minute, she went from X number of dollars in sales to this over this short period of time. And all of a sudden, I mean, you, you probably became kind of a, you know, a, a goal setter in many ways for all of these other owners. What, what was that like? You know, uh, McDonald's was really fun because they like, in addition to um, the buses, we did a really good job of taking care of our associates. I always felt like if I took good care of them, they'd take good care of our customers. So we just raised our pay a dollar an hour, which back then wasn't, it was a lot of money, but it wasn't a lot of money, if you know what I mean. But it lowered our turnover down to very minimal. And once your turnover is down and your employees know your guests, call them by name, know what they're going to order, then then it creates trust and your sales grow. And so McDonald's gave us numerous awards, which we really appreciated, but they also put me on the road and I would go to different markets and share what we were doing and try to help my fellow operators grow their sales and grow their trust and, and take care of their employees. And now this is really an important piece because, you know, turnover is, is just insanely expensive, especially in the restaurant industry. And it's very high in the restaurant industry, but in all businesses, keeping your employees is kind of a constant source of stress and, and even adversity for many business owners. And you mentioned raising their pay, which is important, but there's obviously so much more to that than just pay. Can you tell us a little bit about how you have gone out of the way to ensure employee satisfaction in your businesses? Well, I think it's a, it's, it is a mystery uh, because um, I don't think you can ever do enough. I haven't ever done enough. I'm certainly not there. So I'm not trying to speak to you as an expert, but our mission, my mission in the businesses that I had are three things, create opportunity, make a difference and impact lives. That doesn't say anything about making money, making buns, making hamburgers. It, you know, I, I feel like that we're all in the people business, no matter what business we're in. And if we can create opportunities for our employees to have chances to grow in their career or get education, I've, I've been big on giving scholarships, you know, uh, giving them opportunities to go to leadership meetings, giving opportunities to my customers to have new products or to be treated especially great when they're in my business. So creating opportunities, making a difference. If, if I can do one thing to help make a positive difference in that associate's life, then I, I feel good about that. And that could be little things uh, like remembering their birthday with a birthday card, giving them a turkey at Thanksgiving, 
or writing them a note when they get a promotion, making a call, or it can be as big as assisting with their tuition uh, uh, money uh, for them to increase their education or paying for them to go to a Dale Carnegie course or helping them buy a wardrobe that'll be appropriate when they're in front of the customers. There's all kinds of little and big things we can do, but we're uh, making a difference is dealing with one person at a time and trying to help them be the best that they can be the best that God made them to be. And, um, and that brings a lot of pleasure to me as well. So create opportunities, make a difference in impacting lives. And, and I think that we have a chance to impact lives every day, but I've especially enjoyed having the business as a tool to do that. Um, about a year and a half ago, I brought in a partner and um, because they were willing to put a lot of money into helping our growth. And I was able to take some cash off the table and I was able to share and give $15 million to my employees and associates that have been with me along the way. And that's sort of a big example. While they enjoyed getting a windfall, I think what they really enjoyed is the constant, the little things, the turkey at Thanksgiving and the birthday card and me knowing their kids' names and, and really have an interest in their life. And it's a remarkable journey when you think that we started this conversation with you piecing together $600 to get an office space. And now we're talking about being able to give back $15 million to your employees to help make a difference in their lives. That's, that's the success journey. And yet, like you said, it's about persistence. There's so many aspects of persisting through. And I would venture to guess that if we went back to uh, the Cordia putting that $600 into that, uh, that office space, you probably would not even be able to fathom the journey that this would take you. How have uh, you... <laughs> no, but I still feel like that person that only had the $600. <laughs> I'm still counting paper clips in the storage room to make sure we don't carry too many, you know? <laughs> sure. But there, there's so many points along this way where you could have said, like, that's it. I've arrived. I'm when, when you owned a McDonald's, like, that's it. I've, I've, I've accomplished this. And yet you continue to persist and to, and to push. And a lot of that seems to be a growth mindset of yours. How has that desire for growth really shaped your journey? Well, I think the, the uh, journey is continuous improvement. The challenge of being a little better, being a little smarter, taking a little risk, making a bigger impact. Um, I think continuous improvement and a lot is a lifelong journey. And if we're on that journey, you've got to keep pushing forward. You just ne never can settle for status quo. I love that. that. That's so true. Um, in Cordia, many of our listeners are, are high school students or, or younger people in college age and just beginning these journeys. Um, many of them probably in a similar situation to what you were in uh, back there. And, and so this message of continuous improvement, I think, will definitely ring true to them. I'm curious, given that demographic of listener, is there any particular advice you would share to our younger listeners about persisting in today's world? Sure. I believe 
that we have a really good compass within ourselves, that we know what's right and wrong. We know what we really deeply desire to do. And I, I think that's the spirit inside each one of us. And I would just tell you that there were many times in my young career that I chose money. You know, I'm going to do this because then I can make enough money so I can do what I really want to do. That quote. Instead, I would really say, follow that passion within yourself you know what feels right, go for it. And don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Because I believe every one of us are meant to be wildly successful. And we need to celebrate the uniqueness of each individual. And that means you have to be on a path that might be different than your best friend or might be different than your parents want you to do. But go for it. Because we only get get one life and I'm so grateful that I went for it. And, um, you know, I would have never dreamed I would end up on the Forbes list. And that happened two weeks ago. And I'm like, holy cow. Well, congratulations. That is, uh, that's wonderful. Oh my gosh. It's just hilarious. I'm on there with that. It's the hundred, I can't remember how they titled it, but but the list of people I'm on there with are true people I really respect and look up to that have really accomplished a lot in their lives. So I'm so honored just to be among them. But on the inside, I'm still that little girl that's trying to figure it out and trying to do good each day and trying to make a little bit of a difference each day. And uh, so you don't change on the inside. I just want to encourage you to be who God wanted you to be. Put your, listen to that little voice inside yourself and go for it. Don't be afraid. Uh, those are inspiring words indeed. Well, in, in closing, Cordia, just uh, just kind of for fun to put you on the spot a little bit, Jim Collins talks about the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, and how that that's an aspect of, of leaders to always have this this kind of idea or something that they're dreaming big about. So, what would you say is the is that big, hairy, audacious goal for the bun company or for you individually that you're thinking is the next step or, or the or the next kind of goal in your future? Yeah, so I have a big, hairy, audacious goal, and um, I get into trouble when I talk about it publicly because it's so big, <laughs> and hairy, and audacious. So I better not go there. Uh, that's for the business. Um, I think. Um, I think for me, um, my, my big, hairy, audacious goal personally is some kind of real big give back. Mm -hmm. And it will have something to do with first time college students. I was first in my family to go to college and graduate. Um, it will have something to do with travel. I took my air first airplane flight. Um, when I was a college student at to be an exchange student to Japan, first time ever on an airplane going to Japan. So uh, I'm working on something that will be a big, hairy, audacious goal, but it'll be in the terms of a give back. Well, that's phenomenal. Cordia, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I know that you'll inspire our audience and uh, really move them on to great things. So well, thank you congratulations again. Congratulations on your hard work. And I'm proud of you for inspiring the students every day. So thank, <laughs> well, thank you, you so much. Have a blessed holiday. 
That concludes this episode of the CHCA Entrepreneurial Podcast. If you're new to this podcast or haven't heard of CHCA before, hop onto our website, chca-oh.org, to learn more about the Entrepreneurship Program. We are essentially building into the entrepreneurs of the future through our venues and programs and opportunities, including the Leaning Eagle Coffee Bar, CHCA Eagle Farms, the Teaching Kitchen, and more. And through these experiences, we're giving students hands-on, innovative opportunities to engage in the entrepreneurial mindset. With that said, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a favorable review. And if you're a business or individual who wishes to sponsor the podcast, reach us through our website, through the school's website, chca-oh.org, for more information.